Welcome to Landstream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter or Blue Sky at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Instagram or Blue Sky at Scavendish. If you like this show, the one you're listening to right now, rate, review, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. But most importantly, just tell somebody that you know you listen to Lamestream and they should too. Spencer Hall, every day should be Saturday, shutdown, full cast, and a million other things. ESPN television, the newsletter, everything. One of the most intelligent and fascinating human beings we have ever had on the show. Uh, and I don't say that lightly, and uh, we're going to get to the interview really quickly here, so can't wait to talk to him. Uh, I used to book him on Rivals Radio in Maryland Farms on Sirius 123, and his name was Orson Swindle, because that was his pseudonym when he launched the blog, Every Day Should Be Saturday in 2005. And look at him now. Look at him now. So can't wait uh, to have him on. The, can't wait look to at him now. Him. He looks like the Unabomber. <laughs> don't, don't say that before the interview. Uh, <laughs> but before we get to him, of course, Slave Stream Sports is brought to you by Jaspers, always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers. Jaspers, absolutely full stop shop in the month of December. We're going to tell you a little bit more about that in a second, but uh, we want to. We don't want to waste any time. We're going to get right to Spencer because the conversation is so interesting about the, the future of college football, the current college football, how it has changed, how it's evolved, what is the same about it, what is it about community and the and the, the content that he has created with a bunch of his friends that has worked to connect with these people, and where's the sport going? Very, very smart stuff. From Spencer Hall. So go to Jasper's, of course, uh, as well. And uh, here was our conversation with the great Spencer Hall. Spencer, welcome to the show, man. Great to have you. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. How about you? Uh, we're great. We'll get into your career in just a second. And this is a very difficult question to ask. That's not even like a two part question. It's like a six part question. Mm-hmm. But I, but I, but you're the person to ask, and I, I want to hear your answer about. The growth of the sport of college football, the, the system with which it, it operates inside of over the last 25 years, it's been affected by two massive changes, which is the influx of money and sort of technology all changing around the game. The system seems to evolve on its own to some degree from the bowl system to the alliance, to the BCS, to the playoff, to the 12 team. Uh, why, why is it that you th- like has the game gone to has it evolved too fast? Um, why is it that the sport changes when it does? And again, like I said, six part question here, Spencer, welcome to the show. Well, let's get started. Uh, does the game evolve too fast? There's no too fast or too slow. There's only what happens. I don't understand people who have a problem with change because I don't know, you're not three shit changes and it always will. Uh, so I can't say whether it's changing too fast or too slow because I'm not authoritarian. This is what it is. I have no control over it. It's a way of maintaining sanity to say, okay, this is this is what is. And a lot of what is, by the way, is I think in the name of uh, economic freedom for players, which is not still not a complete story and needs to be. Uh, when people say, wow, the transfer market's a wild wet. That's a, you're failing an IQ test. Every like that's a market. It's the same market you work in. It's the same market all of us work in. Um, you know, stop. You, if you don't want that for somebody else, then you can't want it for yourself. So I think that the kind of economic freedom that players need and the kind of mobility that I think is ideal in the same that everyone has as employees to leave when your contract says you can leave, I think players should have that. So um, has it evolved too quickly? I don't think that exists. It just is. This is how fast it's moved. And if it changes more and faster in the next year, then I would try to describe it and not bemoan it. 
um, especially given where the sport has come from, which is a place where players really couldn't move around that much, couldn't dictate their own value, and couldn't use the market in order to better themselves in the circumstances of those around them. So the sport, I think, thrives in spite of itself and probably always has. Um, I wrote about that this week for the newsletter, which is that at a time when the NFL was getting solid deals, uh, college was showing one game a week behind on TV at a time when players were receiving a greater share of the revenue in the NFL and experiencing stardom and all of the benefits that come with it. College players were largely shut off from this at a time when the business model of the NFL for all of the bad things it might be was being honed to a razor sharp edge and becoming the dominant sport in the nation college football was still being run by people who are not business people and all of those things are true and yet it's still wildly popular so the things that still work about the season the things that still work about the sport i think they're all still there not because of those changes but probably in spite of them the in the ncaa floated this this kind of plan this week to maybe bifurcate into paying players in a division and not paying players division what what you make of that and do you, is this just is this kind of a last gasp for the NCAA is this something that you think is real do you think this has any sort of effect on on how we sort teams kind of in the future well we shouldn't pay attention to anything they say like the, the ultimate like the should on the NCAA is that they should shut the building sell the real estate and everyone working there should go get a real job. And I say this as somebody with a fake job. That's what they should do. The NCAA (laughs) should not exist. And like, I will, I will maintain that till I die. I don't think when somebody says, well, is there a moderate response? No, I'm not here to be a moderate. I am, you know, I'm, I'm here to be a, an extremist in this because that is the right thing. The NCAA exists to prevent money from reaching players. And I am 100% against that and anything that stands in the way of that. So they don't have a say here. What they're doing is a last gasp, uh, you know, uh, effort at relevance, at maintaining a spot in the sport. And you know that it is a last gasp and that it is an unserious proposal because Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, came out and said, well, you know, you heard about it when we did. That's that's how you know. was never serious because they didn't even enter into any discussion with the main principles of the most moneyed sport in college athletics before floating it out there. So this is one of those things where you go, I would like you to label bullshit as bullshit when you see it. It was never serious. It was never meant to be serious. Uh, For those that don't know, NCAA president uh, Charlie Baker put out a letter saying, here's a minimum requirement spending financials for all the athletes. It amounts to essentially between nine and $10 million dollars per athletic department across the country, which would separate and create a new subdivision for uh, essentially the largest, most financially secure programs, which I would argue is already the system uh, that is currently in place, technically. Um, and so just so people that don't know, that's that's sort of the background on 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 the actual proposal. It does feel like it's also, like you said, a last-ditch effort and, a, and sort of like to, to interrupt a potential revenue-sharing agreement. It, isn't that just not a possibility? Isn't revenue-sharing going to happen through the court system or through the SEC leading the way or the Big Ten leading the way. I mean, revenue sharing is coming to college athletics one way or the other, right? Yeah, no, it's coming. And the sort of thing that they're doing is suggesting that they would serve as some sort of regulatory middleman in a process where they've already been boxed out. Rent seekers. 
yeah, that, that's that's all it is. They're doing some sort of rent-seeking behavior here, and we don't need that because the amount of real estate or capital they own is zero. It's none. You 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 add nothing to the process. You would only take away. Well, and that's and that's where the rules changes and the self governance comes from the top tier of college football that eventually will take place. So let me ask you because like I think a big part of why I've enjoyed your work for a very long time now, and you've kind of worked in every possible medium known to to humankind um, in the digital era covering this great game. I, I talk to a lot of people and a lot of fans that that sort of feel like the soul of the game is is leaving, and I'm not talking about the old guy who doesn't want the athlete getting paid. I, I'm just talking sure. about. I'm talking about the love of Oregon State versus Oregon or what whatever you know pick you know pick a pick a game that brings you joy on, on a Saturday and that we are you know I don't want it to be the NFL or or whatever how how is it that you your opinion on all of that has evolved from you know when you got started in this world again as a as a fake job with technically a fake name at the time mm-hmm. to what to what you're doing now like do you still feel the same joy for the soul of the game? And and how do you try to keep that alive for your fans and for your audience? Well, I think there's two things that don't really change a lot. And that uh, I think that's good. And I think one is that for the most part, the actual experience of going to a game and being a part of that community, we abuse the word community a lot. You know, when you hear things like, those of us within the Peloton community, there's no Peloton community. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Like community gets abused by corporations and by people so desperate for identity. They say things like, well, you know, for those of us in the last of us two community. No, that's not a, a community is a group of people who show up for each other, have sort of common mores, goals, and, you know, really sort of put something, I think, in meat space. I still think that matters. Yes, you can have an online community, but ultimately... The rubber has to meet the road somewhere, you know, like when I say if I, you know, the kind of like community that we have, and I'm pretty sure we'll talk about this down the road is that, you know, you want to make that count somewhere you want to, you know, you you want to make it, you, you want to have it show up somewhere. So if you don't really show up somewhere, then I have a real hard time ascribing the word community to what you do. And I think that's still extant for college football. That's still real. If you show up to Ole Miss, you will get the full experience for good or for ill. For ill is mostly the fact that they don't cook over open flame. And I think the food is pretty overrated in Oxford. Atmosphere is unparalleled. Um, that is my LSU bias showing that I would assume that. I, I think factually correct, though. So fa- factually correct. They yeah. LSU absolutely waste them when it comes to food quality overall. Um, and I think food safety by the way, because there's a lot of people out there running some like spec kitchens um, outdoors <laughs> at Baton Rouge. And I don't think they get enough credit for that. Valid, valid. Um, you know, safe temperatures, great food prep protocol, you know, clubs, <laughs> the whole bit. And so and after six shots of tequila, it's amazing. <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least. I would I would argue that's probably generally true in your industrial kitchens too. So I was gonna say those 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 protocols are a lot better for the uh, are but a lot better for a noon game than they are for an for an eight p.m. game. Eight p.m. game, you know, about four o'clock, things are things are everything's kind of gone to hell. You're on you're on your own. Okay, you're on your own at that point, and I think we all acknowledge that it's a self governing situation there. But I don't think that's to me that hasn't changed a lot. I think yep. those those communities and those people are still there. And that if you're disciplined about that and you try to meet new people, that I don't think that goes away. You know, a lot of the old people say, well, it's not the same. 
don't know. They they just stop talking to people. A lot of old people get isolated and they don't necessarily make new friends. Keep making new friends. Um, and I think you'll find that community is still there. The thing that also doesn't change is that you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds. And one of the great joys of the sport is watching these guys, um, you know, play loose, play free. Um, you kind of catch them before too many PR people get their hands on them and before they learn a lot of coach speak and PR speak. And that's kind of wonderful too, especially I think in the NIL era, I don't think people should sleep on how fun the NIL era has been in terms of um, very real athlete empowerment. I think you see guys who, yeah, they might transfer. You get them for a little bit. They're fun. They, uh, they generally share their money. You know, I think you've seen Blake Corum, Blake Corum at Michigan, just, you know, handing out turkeys on Thanksgiving. I love that. That's, absolutely what this is about so locality and the the players that really hasn't changed a lot oh, do you think we're getting more access from nil because i because we see you know programs for 100 bucks you can get access to anybody <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean but programs yeah exactly i mean programs uh during particularly during covid like you saw like the worst impulses of everybody just kind of shutting everything down you make like somebody available on a zoom call once a week and that was it uh, you're starting to see more of it uh, and, 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 in, and in sort of different ways. You can actually pay for it. But, I mean, a, a lot of these players want to promote kind of like what they're, what they're doing. So it makes them want to be, you know, out there and, and, and actually talking to people. Yeah, you do get a little bit more. And I think you see you know, the definition of access change. I think you see maybe greater social media presence. I think you see... Um, you know, in the name of selling the product or doing whatever they're doing for their money, I think you do see the player a little bit more. And I think that's generally nothing but good because you get a lot of, you know, big, charming personalities, especially in places where, you know, maybe they're a little more off map. Maybe they're places where um, you didn't necessarily expect to find them. So I, I've said the kind of what you said in a different way of, for a long, long time to people when they ask me about how concerned I am about all these different changes. And I always say, look, you're going to wear the same color shirt, sing the same fight song, sing, sit in the same section, walk down the same street your grandfather walked down. Mima and Papa used to sit over there and went to class over there. And we're going to, you know, it doesn't matter if the running back got a little extra money. You're going to cheer for him if he got the first down in your stadium, no matter what. And that's the, the community you're talking about. How do you do that with a group of fans that you guys have appealed to all across the country? You've turned it into philanthropy in the Atlanta area as well. Like, how is it that you guys have gone about taking that? that love of the game that we all share and then putting it, like you said, putting it on the ground somewhere. I, I think that was, that was born from, I think our, um, I think that was born from, from our dedication to that cause and wanting to point that somewhere and make something positive of rivalry and a lot of the spite and pettiness that, that drives the sport. And I think that became its own thing after a while when people really began to enjoy it. When you return it to a competition, people will, you know, bet on the first raindrop down the window pane. If you turn it to something like this, where you get to feel good about making a charitable donation, then um, then by all means, they want to rename a conference center, you know, or a conference room in this building, you know, the Tim Biakabatuka conference room, um, which, you know, is something that happened thanks to years of Michigan absolutely trashing the opposition in our annual charity bowl and that's the kind of stuff that i think can sort of take this like nascent you know potentially good potentially bad um online community and sort of point them in a positive direction and that's on the community mostly i don't think i 
get any credit for that. I think that's just, you know, you come up with an idea and then when everyone buys into it, it you know, actually gains life. So um, that's the kind of thing that I love to see and that um, I've seen happen on a number of different fronts. You know, I know that every time there is some sort of, you know, laudable charitable cause than someone I have seen in the sports sphere, whether it's, you know, split zone duo or others, you know, they will leap in and make it their own. And I think that's the thing that kind of helps you transcend just being a message board or um, just being a, a particular group of Twitter follows. What do you, what do you think at, at some point, uh, at some point after college, uh, I wanted to be a journalist. And so there was a very specific path. It was, I'm going to go work for a newspaper and, uh, and, and that's sort of carried me sort of into this era. Um, you, you guys are a couple of years behind me and that was already starting to sort of die off, uh, and, and transition into sort of like digital paths and, and whatever else. There's a long way of saying, how, how do you get paid now for, covering the the sport and can you and 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 i i think that one of the interesting things about what you guys are doing now is it seems like you're getting to cover the sport in maybe a way that wouldn't have existed a while ago and lets you let you kind of be something much more interesting as a writer than than you ever would have if you had been in kind of these old journalism structures Oh yeah, that was never happening for me. I just, yeah. you know, like uh, your your pir- your story pyramid, your uh, eight hundred word column. That was yeah. never happening. <laughs> never. <laughs> you know, uh, I am far too disorderly to even begin to think that that was a possibility. Um, now you have to diversify, and I'm really fortunate in that. You know, I have two or three different ways of doing this you know there's a podcast okay the podcast is covered and the podcast is you know there's a contract for that and money comes from that and then um i do a little bit of work for espn and there's a contract for that and that's covered and you know you can do a number of different formats there because i don't know if you can see me but conventional tv was not happening either but digital <laughs> digital offers an interesting window there where you can kind of be sort of a half podcaster, half take Smith, and it kind of works. And then there's the newsletter. And the newsletter gives you a tremendous amount of freedom, thanks to subscribers, to, yeah, maybe attack an issue a different way, maybe see things from uh, a slightly different perspective, maybe go a little bit longer if you want to, maybe just write about the thing you want to write about that week, might not even be sports. Um, you know, and we've managed to do all of that. So Right now is an interesting moment, and I think it. And, and I don't want to suggest that for anyone listening and go, okay, well, go out, start a Patreon, start a newsletter. I don't think that's necessarily the way for anybody who would want to make a living should do this because <laughs> you know I came in with a fair amount of momentum from uh, other places and from outlets and from uh, podcasts, etc. So I don't necessarily know if that's the way to do it. It's one way I can do it. Um, I think you have to have above a certain you know, level of volume, or you have to have a bit like Roger Sherman, I think has the greatest bit this year, which is that he's been started a Patreon where he's just barnstorming college football games and did this national tour. I think he's on 47 games to this point. And uh, Road Rog has only 
gained momentum, but even then he's coming from the ringer, you know, so he's coming from a place with like some serious visibility so that he can do that. So I still think outlets have their spot, especially for younger writers looking to sort of gain visibility and momentum so that you can kind of slingshot your way into this. And that that's not even covering all the other different sort of valleys, you know, like there's great people on TikTok. I don't want to use the word creator because it just feels very artificial. Um, you know, great, 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 like great personalities and brains who are using places like TikTok uh, to sort of build their following. Like Kofi Yebo is a great example of that. You you started with every day should be Saturday that morphed into uh, that moved in morphed into um, SB Nation. Mm-hmm. It, it was absorbed by it. And then you guys morphed into Banner Society. Uh, did you, what do you think of, of sort of digital media right now and digital sports media? And is it, is it a place for anything interesting? Not a venture cap, not a, not a venture capitals associated with it. I should say, is it a place for anything interesting at scale? Because that seems, that seems to be what, what all of those were, were scale plays. No. And once big money comes in, then it's done. Um, it will be done and it will be over. And there may be a short period where you can benefit from that if they're not looking, you know, that's sort of what happened with SB Nation. Uh, but once the lease shortens there and we're demanding 300x returns for somebody you don't know who doesn't understand what you're doing, yeah. um, then that's bad for both of you because what we were doing was never going to get those kind of returns. And what they wanted was never reasonable. So I think at scale, no, I think the individual kind of creator economy is pretty good right now. There's a lot of very good ways to do that, provided you have a certain gravity. I think on the come up, it's always tough. I, I don't think I don't think that's easy for anyone. And I don't think there's a sort of magic bullet for that other than persistence. You know, like there's a lot of talented people, but talented people who are going to be stupid enough to show up every day for this, you know, for five, six, seven years, you know, like EDSBS started in 2005. And I don't think it was until 2008 that anything sort of remotely, you know, there was no momentum whatsoever between like, I think 07, 08 was kind of when people started to sort of notice. And that was at a point where, frankly, technologically, you know, we got lucky that we started at a time when there was very high visibility for very few sites. Um, I think there are places where you can still do that, but on the whole, big outlets, um, that's not to say there aren't people who do great work for those big outlets, but big outlets are all, on, for the most part, big outlets um, that are sort of either venture capital backed or have been purchased. They're all on some kind of clock toward liquidation. I, I think what's interesting is the audience's force in all of this. And, and that you talk about like a lot of individual creators and sort of small niche communities and like certainly our 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 network is here based on sort of Nashville sports for Nashville people and it's a very sort of small you know kind of creator type of space. Um, do you feel like th- and there's this big conversation about casuals versus diehards in the college football world and we kind of get into this weird you know esoteric debate about it and I'm just curious if you think that that people in general the audience in general fans of the game in general are and you can go outside of college football if you want to like are we just thirsty and craving more of that sort of 
Because again, as the VC money comes in and as the outlets get bigger, the content gets dumber by definition. It gets more basic. It gets more sort of... You guys know all the forces we're talking about here. Do do you think the vast majority of sports fans just want to be fed the most basic thing? Or do you think that the vast majority of people are still out there seeking something? How's this? I don't know what the vast majority of sports fans want. And that's why I'm here. Because if I did know that, then I would have made it. And I'm not capable of that. I'm either not smart enough or I am uh, too weird to do that. Um, I think there are people out there who probably fit that bill. You know, Um, I think it's possible to do good, smart work on a really big level. But I think that spot, like, I think you get some of that in the NFL. But I don't know what they want, generally speaking, which is why I do what I do, which is that, you know, you're going to serve your people. You're going to serve your audience and you're going to find those people um, and they're going to gravitate to your work. And hopefully you have sort of a specific gravity high enough to make it all uh, hold together. And that would be what I would tell somebody, you know, like, well, you know, what audience am I writing for? I don't know. Right. But do what you do, you know, like do it like that's, you know, I'm not saying just go off and try to make something for no one, but at the same time, um, you have to make it for yourself first. And, you know, for me, I was always trying to sort of entertain or make like two or three people I knew laugh. So if you've got two or three people, you know, who you go, okay, I'd really like to sort of, you know, entertain them. I think that's a good start. And it just so happens that, you know, if you, if you manage to get this small audience and there's probably people behind them as well, and then people behind them, um, I would not worry about volume. I would not worry about a, a mass market because I do think people have, a real, I think people like if, if my late life fascination with YouTube is any indication that people really <laughs> crave, people really crave a community. They do. And they really crave um, a personality and they really crave, I think, a unique take or a different take on things, not a contrarian take, yeah. but just something genuinely wholeheartedly different or helpful to their interest and if you can't be one of those two things then i would start to worry middle-aged middle-aged dads and eight-year-olds all obsessed with youtube there's no question about that um let me let me hypothetically 10 years from now we continue down this path and there's a 45 team college football top tier do do you Mm -hmm. think that that erode like I, I want to know what the impact is on the because again we both we both we all agree that you go to the game in 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 Stadium A and that's not going to really ever change. Do you think no. that the the sport and I and the NFLification is such a, a lazy term and I don't mm-hmm. I just mean that once they we get to that place there's a commissioner and the schedules are even and the records are how you get into the playoff and it becomes big business and the athletes rightly so are paid a fair wage for what they are doing. All of this happens. Do, what does that do to the charm or or nothing at all? Or, or do we still have people that are obsessed with all the things that like your audience that wants to hear all like the, you know, all the, the one-off and the obscure stories and the, mm-hmm. you know, the history of the stuff, like, does that all still exist or is it diminished in any way? I mean, I, I think it depends on whether you tell the story and, you know, and that's college football. The story itself um, has largely been told by, um, by the people who follow it. That's it. And I think as long as those people sort of have an appreciation of what what the sport has been and where it lives, that I don't know if that changes too much, you know, Um, 
and you know when you get to like the NFL the NFLification or the professionalization of the sport uh, you know it it seems impossible to me because there will be a stratification of the sport at certain levels i think that you will see a pull away of a group of 32 teams who will form a de facto super league but on the whole that already exists it does um and everything else in between i think will end up thriving because i think that that people like brands that differentiate they do like you're both in the middle tennessee area so let's talk about stupid tumblers this is an entirely <laughs> alien culture to me because i have not <laughs> spent my adulthood in middle tennessee but i grew up there and i know that there has been a four five and six brand rotation amongst the ladies of franklin tennessee and <laughs> what they're going to put in the expedition or the tahoe all right and and the variety of tumblers and the values ascribed to each have evolved drastically. It's the like tyranny of fine degrees of difference. And I think you're going to see a lot of that when it comes to college football, because I think that fans within fans will say, well, I mean, that's cool. There's all that sort of, you know, big Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia college stuff. But have you seen what they're doing in the Sun Belt? Now, that's not that's not going to be massive, but it's going to be big enough to make a difference when you're talking about where I meet the sport, right? At what level do I meet the sport? Yep. There are people, you know, there's people who follow championship league in England, you know, and I think that that's not going to be massive, but it's going to be big enough to be a viable fan base on its own. So I think gradually that kind of like sub FBS major category is only going to grow from this point forward. And I hesitate to even say grow because it would attract the worst people in the world in terms of investment. Okay. But I think, <laughs> I think there's still room. I think there's still room to grow there. And I think that's where people, you know, if they're savvy enough and they do the branding, right. I think that yeah. people would go, Hmm, no, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to go take a look at that. Cause this might be getting too big for me, or that might be getting too, especially if we get the same teams every single year without the relief of the, like the color in between, because I know yeah. the same 10 teams win college football every single year um but a lot of times there are these entertaining cameos along the way that kind of vary the signal a little bit if we like eliminate that yeah if we eliminate that variance you know if we eliminate the boise states of the world then pretty soon wherever yeah. boise state's going to be living might be as interesting am i am i i want to make sure i've got the analogy right alabama making the playoff is like the 42 ounce stanley with a handle yeah is that so 40, where we're is uh, that, undefeated 42 ounce Stanley? That we're getting to probably yeah. like a probably like a light sea foam color, maybe. Yeah, like, I was thinking that, that yeah, light sea foam, <laughs> maybe sort of a gentle apricot. Yeah. What's a, what's the orca? Ma maybe mauve. Yeah. The 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 orca. Uh the orca probably be Ohio State. Yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. utilitarian and cheap. <laughs> That's utilitarian, cheap, instructable. Yeah. No, no, no free, no free shouts. Uh okay. Hey. Hey, I need to ask one quick, and I know we're running out of time here. Uh, I, this is completely indulgent on my part. Mm -hmm. um, what was the origin of Hayton Asperger? <laughs> just talking. Just, just Ryan talking. And I would just, yeah, no, it's Ryan and I would talk back and forth. How many, uh, so for people you've, who don't you've, know. You've listened to Steve Thurier talk, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah, no, no, okay. uh, no. Right. It's great. Make sure. Hate and Asperger yeah. is, a, is, is a feature that used to be on SB Nation, and it went over to Banner Society, uh, and it was just, uh, it was just, insults and riffs and and just funny bits how much how much stuff had to 
had to had to be thrown at it in order to get into what 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 was finally there. What what like was it was this like fifty things for for twenty for twenty lines make the make the feature or what was what was how did what was the process on on hate and ask for? I mean, generally, um, generally, if we said it, it was going to go in. So because I don't think <laughs> so zero you know, if, zero yeah, if threshold. Ryan, if, if Ryan and I if Ryan and I were going back and forth with that. <laughs> How's this? It wouldn't co- it wouldn't make it to the page if we didn't think it was good. So like, <laughs> what, and we're what, trying, you know, you're trying to one up each other too when you're writing those. So, you know, you're not sort of taking it lightly. You go, okay, that's a good one. Well, the next one has to be better, which is kind of why they usually gained momentum. Like, like the last five were usually the best five, and then you know when you finally like, we probably cut the last two because the last two were just running out of gas. Was there ever anything that was that was too out of bounds? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna say what they were. <laughs> you, can say, you can feel free to you can feel free to say what they were. Yeah, no, yeah, no. There's there's no FCC here, man. This is the little little tiny individual independent creator space, you know. Oh no, if yeah, yeah, but if yeah, but you if, if listen, if it didn't make it, then it was so bad that I wouldn't say it here. Okay, <laughs> fair fair enough. Um, is is writing still your is is that still your favorite of all the things you do TV shows, you do podcasts. They've almost all been pretty successful. What, what is, is writing when you sit down by yourself? Is that still the thing that makes you the happiest? Happy is not that has this. It's most fulfilling. Like when you write well um, on the rare occasions, when that happens, then I feel, you know, like pretty good about it. It's still how I kind of process the world. I don't really go to an event without sort of citing up like what it would be on the page or you know what I'm doing I'm always kind of writing in my head anyway I do enjoy other things that I've gotten to do like the ESPN deal has been fun because uh, you get to do the draft I had no idea the draft would be so fun but the trick to the draft is you get to talk about players guys you've watched and you get to kind of translate them for the viewer in a way that's hopefully like different and entertaining so I, I like that because you get to talk about people doing things well it's fun to talk about people applying their trade and how they do it and why they might, you know, why they're especially cool. So that's been cool. And it's been fun doing F1 because uh, one, the people who cover F1 are really cool and it's a very different thing. And they're on this like global tour. You can, cannot possibly imagine the dimensions of like the frequent (laughs) flyer mile accounts of F1 riders who cover every race are fearsome. And it's also a cool sport because it's very personality driven, but it also has this serious technical edge behind it. And it's all over the place. So um, if you like, you know, big billionaire egos that are dependent on one underpaid tire changers whims, (laughs) then it's kind of fun to watch. So I've gotten to enjoy doing that. And it's not unlike college football, though, when all the billionaire donor class depends on one college freshman kicker a holder a holder yeah. yes, yes. On the holder um and unlike uh college football their netflix documentaries are actual documentaries so there there you have it um spencer thank you so much man i uh, really appreciate your time and uh continued success and we'll talk soon thank you yeah my pleasure thanks y'all orson swindle everybody that's right. Spencer Hall. Uh, you can get him on the newsletter. You can get him on TV, on ESPN. You can get him uh, <laughs> basically everywhere. Shut down full cast. Uh, fascinating conversation. I don't know if I've ever talked to a person that covers college football, that loves college football, and is also like as big of a philosopher as Spencer Hall is. Um, just 
absolutely. It, it is it is one of the great scams of our time that uh, that Spencer gets called sports writer for 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 what he does because uh, a lot of it is is just him pouring out his brain and it's it's yeah. really entertaining to watch. Comedian, philosopher, philanthropist, uh, writer, reporter, actor. I, I think there was one time where he was a test driver. Act- I think Actor? he was a te- I think he was a test yeah I mean he's performing on TV. Uh <laughs> I think there was one time where he was test driving like Dodge Vipers or some shit during the pandemic. I don't know. Like it was wild. Uh he's he's had a fascinating run and uh, uh we'll get into some TV ratings here for college football but uh I think some important insight into the future of the game there about how the soul of the game could stay intact. So I think that's really really important. Uh reminder to everybody Section Section 6 is uh is where you want to go if you if you want to check out what what they're doing on a regular basis. Yeah, they, you can catch him everywhere. Just go to Everyday Should yeah. Be Saturday on his Twitter account. You can get to all of his links to all of his stuff there uh, and go help, go support. Uh, by the way, supporting local business, Jasper's, of course. And here's the deal. Uh, obviously, it's free parking, Steve. Obviously, it's a great place to go get a meal. Obviously, obviously, obviously it's the next evolution of the sports bar. Obviously, obviously, it's a great place to watch Preds games, home and road, great drink specials, obviously. But here's the deal. It is December. And whatever it is you may celebrate, you're probably going to have to buy something for somebody. And while you're in Jasper's grabbing a quick bite, watching a game, you go into the grab and go market and they have so many little items from all local companies that some of them are like food items for the kitchen. Some of them are like um, little knickknacks, but they're all from local companies. There's Dolly Parton stuff in there. There's TriStar stuff in there. All kinds of perfect stocking stuffers. If you're looking for gifts for uh, coworkers, if you're looking for gifts for uh, in-laws, secret Santa ideas, I'm telling you, you go into Jasper's little grab and go market. You can grab some cheesecake and do your Christmas shopping in the same place as you watch the Preds game. I don't know where else you can do that. I love the vendors that are that are in the grab and go market. Uh, I, you know, you can you can get Goo's anywhere. You can get Goo's there. Um, I think Thistle Farms is in there. So Thistle Farms in there. Tennessee yeah. Peanut Company is in there. Yeah. Uh, a couple other places, but uh, if you if you want to pick out just one, the Colts chocolate people are fantastic. <laughs> like everything that they do. Uh, and if you're looking for like a good stocking stuffer, uh, go get some of the Colts chocolate stuff from there. It's fantastic. But Bloody Mary mixes and b- biscuit batters and all kinds of really awesome stuff that, again, not super expensive, perfect for stocking stuffers, perfect for Secret Santas, perfect for work gifts. Uh, and all while you can park for free, eat a great meal, watch a game and drink a beer. You can do it all at the same place. You can do all that in the same place, Steve. Go to Jasper's. Jasper's. All right, so we really appreciate Spencer Hall. Always incredibly thoughtful uh, guy coming on the show. So uh, quickly here, before we get to how wrong you are about the college football playoff committee, uh, the ratings, the TV ratings in college football are out. The number one watched game the entire season was, of course, Ohio State, Michigan, 19.07, 19.1 million people. The number two most watched game of the year, Alabama, Georgia, in the SEC championship, 17.5 million. Then a massive drop down to number three most watched game of the entire year in college football across the country, Colorado and Oregon at 10.03 million, Michigan, Iowa, Big Ten Championship game number four, 10.02 million. Those are the only four games, Steve, of the entire calendar year or entire season, I should say, that drew more than 10 million people. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State, number five, Colorado State, Colorado, number six, Washington, Oregon, number seven, uh, Florida State, LSU, number eight, 9.17 million, Michigan, Penn State, number nine, and then the Iron Bowl, number 10. Major takeaway here is that the Pac-12, on the back of very good Oregon and Washington teams, and on the back of Deion Sanders, 
had three of the top seven most watched football games, seven of the top 20 most watched football games, the most watched Pac-12 championship game of all time. And oh, by the way, Colorado State, Colorado had more people watching than watched the Iron Bowl, which I don't know if you know this or not, Steve, ended on one of the most spectacular plays in the history of the rivalry. But more people watch Colorado State, Colorado. Absolutely fantastic year for the TV ratings in the Pac-12, ironically, in the last year of its existence. Congrats to the Pac-12 and thoughts and prayers. So thought experiment here. If Colorado had not flamed out as spectacularly as they did, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think the ceiling for like a 10 and two Colorado team is here at the end of the season or 11 and one, like, like with Dion, Holy smokes. I mean, they made him, they made him sportsman of the year and he was four and seven at the time. And I mean, and and his son almost died playing football this year because he, because his offensive line was so bad. So bad. Um, do you want to do you want to hear the growth? I can give you the growth of the of the interest of the t- this is what's interesting. So Colorado TCU, which is the defending national runner up, week was the one, opener. Yeah, week week one, seven point two million. That was the seventeenth most watched game. Then you can kind of see the progression. The very next week they play color they play Nebraska. That is the thirteenth most watched game of the calendar year. Then they go to Colorado State, and Colorado State is the sixth most watched game of the calendar year. And then they play Oregon, the third most watched game of the calendar year. You can see the national interest growing yeah, week by week. And then of course the USC game is also on here, but that's after they got boat raced by Oregon. And then at that point they, they disappear from the rankings altogether because nobody's watching them anymore. But the, as, pa- as the complete, power of Deion Sanders is unprecedented in college football as completely like interminable as, as that would have been to, to have like an 11 and one Colorado. The, the, the flip side of that is, Holy shit! Like, what would the, you know, what would the numbers have been like? Because he was he was clearly bringing in people who were who were not who are not college football fans, uh, yeah, or, or like yep. what you, you would say as traditional Saturday college football watchers. I mean, these are these are pro fans, these are Dion fans, these are you know all sorts of people coming into it uh, while it, he's on this while he's on this rise up. It was also a. I think the Colorado TCU game was more promoted for longer than any singular college football game in the history of the sport. Truly, uh, it was every Fox broadcast for the better part of four months. And guess what? They got their money's worth. Um, what's interesting is so the SEC has eight of the top twenty most watched games, but not even close. Number one, Ohio State, Michigan, by a country mile. And for those of you that think the conspiracy theories are are floating around out there. Like if there was a true conspiracy theory to make ESPN as much money as possible on the college football playoff, it would involve four Big Ten teams, <laughs> or three <laughs> big or three Big Ten teams: Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. That that is again. Well, that Michigan I, Ohio State number is so far ahead that, of everybody else. I don't think that's true. I, I don't think that's true in the sense of put plug in this team and they you know and and get this rating, but. The top two games of the year here, Bama, Georgia, and and Ohio State, Michigan. What can you say about them? They had stakes that, like, th- there were yep. there were real implications to how an, a college football champion was going to be crowned in those two games. And I, I think if you put, you know, if you put Tennessee in there, uh, if you had if you had Tennessee, Alabama. Like a couple of eleven and one, or, or like one of them is a twelve and zero team. 
that get that game had would have stakes and implications for 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 who would who would be the I, national I, champion I, and, and and you're you're gonna have that you're gonna have those numbers i i uh, think i uh, my ultimate so i agree with you tennessee alabama by the way number 14 most watched football game of the calendar year 8.01 million people that was the only tennessee game that i believe got on here alabama was on here a bunch the auburn game the lsu game the texas game the georgia game um the texas a&m game was a top 20 most watched game so I think Alabama's the brand. I, I, to me, again, I try to explain this to people in the Southeast to give them ammunition on how to like fight these stupid conspiracy battles that like the ESPN wants an SEC. They want one maybe Alabama, but they don't want like a bunch of SEC teams getting in. They they want a mate. There are more people in the city of Chicago that are Big Ten alumni than every state in the SEC, other than Texas, Florida, and Georgia. The, the the number of eyes and ears in the Midwest just dwarfs the SEC in terms of TV ratings and watching power. Michigan Iowa was a twenty two point spread and was the number four most watched football game of the calendar year. But again, that that's a game that had stakes. That was the Big Ten championship. Now, uh, was Michigan always going to win this game? Yes. And what did they win? Was it like 26, 23 nothing, twenty six nothing? It was a, yeah. it was some asinine score. But but that was a game that had implications. I mean. There's really only going to be one winner, and I think that's that 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 manifests itself in it being half as big as Ohio State, Michigan. But you know, it it, it was still it was still Michigan going into the playoffs. Let let me add a couple of other quick tidbits here. As I mentioned, the number three game involved Oregon. The number seven game involved Washington, and Oregon. The number twenty game involved Washington, and and Oregon. I'm kind of looking around here, doing the quick math. So the Big Ten had like five games, but four of the top nine. So clearly very, very top heavy. But they would add number three and number seven <laughs> because they would add Oregon and Oregon, Washington. And then number 20, the SEC had eight games in the top 20. The Big 12 had four, but three of those games <laughs> would become SEC games. So number 12 was Texas, Alabama, most watched game. Uh, then you had number 16, Texas, Oklahoma. Both of those games become completely SEC games. There was a Texas-Oklahoma State Big 12 championship game that was number 15, but you can kind of look like it makes it even more obvious what what why these expansion has happened the way it is, and we kind of talked about this earlier in the show. I, I will say this, though. The Pac-12, I don't see UCLA on here, and USC is only on here one time, which means, yes, the greater market forces that we've discussed today on the show have led us to this place in the sport that we're at, and the Pac-12 is gone. But the Pac-12 presidents and commissioners after USC and UCLA was was announcing they were leaving, had a television contract on the table they could have accepted. And that would have kept, especially after this year, would have kept the league intact. They chose not to accept the deal. They overvalued themselves. They made that mistake. The university presidents in the Pac-12 and the commissioner's office, they made a mistake by overvaluing themselves. And then a couple of months later, when the deal wasn't done yet, the Big 12 and the Big 10 came and took everybody. So otherwise, we could be talking about the most successful television year in Pac-12 football history with nine more years of that contract still to go and the sport still intact. So the Pac-12 plays a, a very large role in making a major self-inflicted mistake following and, the loss of USC and UCLA. And now we have to pretend like Cal and Stanford are ACC schools. Uh, I guess. I guess. Great. <laughs> I guess. I do awesome. love looking at all the bowl matchups and being like, Arizona, Oklahoma. Okay, so that's a current Big 12 team against a current Pac-12 team, but it's going to be a future Big 12 team against a future SEC team. That's interesting. 
Um, so there's a lot of things that are changing. That that is that is for sure. All right. Why do you think Florida State is better than Alabama? Explain to me. Oh, that's exactly what I expected. Nothing. There's nothing that you can say. This is this is this is this is this is you falling back on typical radio host bullshit. No, it's not to, to, to frame a question like this. Which one of these teams deserves to be in the playoff more? Florida that's State not the, does. That's, that's not the job. That's not in the bylaws. The bylaws say the four best teams, and the also in the bylaws, the bylaws are then the bylaws are fucking stupid, dude. You're, look, because, I, I because know you're old. I know you're old, but it's well, not I 1985. Mean, it's 2023. It, it does not have to. <laughs> Florida State won every game in front of them. And I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that one of them happened with a with a freshman quarterback who barely knew the offense. But they won every game in front of them, and <laughs> thirteen and zero means something. Either the games on the field mean something, or they don't. God, I can. I could. That argument either, is either they, so nineteen eighty seven. Either the games matter or they don't. Stop with and, that. They the games do matter. And the you, fact you were, that Florida State played the worst strength of schedule and in the bylaws of the committee's role, it says take into account critical players that are gone off the team. It says it in the rules. And yes, they deserve to be in a play in a playoff. Game, so does Georgia. So does Ohio State. And three teams were going to be pissed off. Here's here's here. You here's cannot how, argue about who is better at, currently as they are constructed here, with. Here's on, how I on, know without Jordan Travis. There is no conceivable way to make the case that Florida State is better because you want to know what their schedules were decided based on geography that was formed a hundred years ago. They do not have equivalent schedules and your brain is capable, Steve Cavendish, of using this context and nuance. I know it because you won't argue about Liberty being in the playoff. They're undefeated. They played every game on their schedule, but you won't argue about Liberty. Why won't you argue about Liberty? What, what do you mean that they should or they shouldn't be in the playoffs? That they should be in there. They went 13 and 0. They won every game. Why aren't they in over Texas? Because they're not a power five school. Oh, so your brain is capable of using nuance and context to decipher between a 12 and 0 and an 11 and 1 record, maybe not being equivalent. Is that what you're saying? You know, chicken's done. This started. I, I have listened to your <laughs> college football stand bullshit all year long, <laughs> beginning with. Beginning with the fact that people like you have been screaming all year long, Oregon <laughs> you, is the best team in the in the Pac-10. What do you mean, and, you? And, people? and what and what and what did I say? Games on the field matter. And yeah. you're like, no, no, Oregon's a better team. And then what happened? Washington beat them again. By the and, way, it's the Pac. It's the, it, if, you're gonna, it, if you're going if you're going to make an argument, get the name it, right. It's the Pac-12. Oregon losing twice. <laughs> Before you finally had to give up the ghost of sure. Oh my God, they're 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 a better they're the better team. Well, I don't I don't I don't think they're the better team. Yes, of course they sound. Of course they're the better team. <laughs> of course Washington is the better team. Maybe. They beat them twice. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't know why I don't know why it is such a radical concept that somebody who goes thirteen and zero and wins their you know wins their conference championship. And they they're not in the playoffs. Okay, so you, because I think you, okay, you're. I'll, I'll calm down if you calm down with me because it's sure, very. Sure. This is a very simple answer, and and it's this is we do this all the time. Two things are true. There, 
Florida State, Georgia, and Ohio State, in my opinion, all deserve to be playoff teams. They are all three playoff worthy. All three of them played seasons worthy of being in the playoff. I think Georgia is the one that got the most screwed. But I understand you can't take Washington out for Georgia, even though Georgia, in my opinion, still might be the number one team in the country. And that's just my opinion. Based on, guess what? Every game that has been played. I base every opinion about these teams off the games. So the games clearly matter. But you cannot have the worst strength of schedule of the group and not and be without your best player, who's one of the four or five most important players on the on in all of college football, Jordan Travis, in a year where you have to the margins are so thin and you have to come up with reasons to leave a team out, not a reason to put anybody in because they all deserve it. I agree with you. Florida State deserves it. So does Ohio State and Georgia. But you had to leave three teams out that were deserving and you had to find reasons to leave teams out. And the reason is that Florida State's strength of schedule was clearly the worst of all of them, which clearly benefited their 13-0 record. And they their offense was atrocious the last two games without Jordan Travis, less than four yards of play. And that, by definition, makes them less good than the other teams that got in. And that sucks. I understand. But the zero isn't automatically better than the one anymore because it's 2023. The, the thing that... The... The thing that really sucks is that I'm having to make a case for Florida State and a program that I truly fucking hate. And I'm making a case for Alabama. That feels dirty for me, I too. Mean, I mean, I, I'm going to have both of us are going to have to go I shower know. after I this know. thing anyway. I, I, I just I, I, I hate that. I, I, I hate that there is an undefeated power five team here who won their conference, who won their conference championship over a very good Louisville team. I mean, that defense is fucking great. And this and, is, oh, for Florida State? Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and, you're absolutely right. And, and now and now we're stuck with, and now we're stuck well, with. No, we're stuck with two better games, and you know it. We're, we're going to get better football games because Florida State's not in there, and that is not the reason to put Alabama in, but it is a reason that I am excited for the playoff. <laughs> also, I was I was kind of secretly hoping that the SEC was going to get stiffed. That would have been that for, that would have been fantastic. As someone who does SEC content, yes, <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I could just I could write the SEO headlines now from now until next March. <laughs> just, uh, in fact, I think I have one on the YouTube page right now. Georgia got screwed. It's doing pretty well, actually. Go check it out. Um, uh, all right. So special thanks uh, to Spencer Hall for joining us. Go to Jasper's, of course, everybody. We do appreciate it. And this is all the stuff we talked about. It's the system. Evolving too rapidly for the, you know, for the the, the NCAA, and now they got to try to fix it. And um, again, Spencer Hall, great. Uh, Steve is wrong about Florida State, but I do respect your opinions. Uh, and of course, Pac twelve, Pac twelve. What were, you had it right there in front of you. You had a chance to sign a contract, and you screwed it all up. And this is where we ended up. So, go to Jasper's. Special thanks to Spencer Hall. Sign up at, at uh, for good journalism locally here at the Nashville Banner, NashvilleBanner.com. Get that newsletter sent right to your inbox. And of course, you can follow us all over the socials. Blue Sky at S. Cavendish and at Braden Gall. We do appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week.